podcast is going to be on what it's like to be a black student at Emory because it's come to my attention through these interviews that being a black student at Emory is a wholly different experience or rather it's very different from the experiences of many other students on this campus. I came across an article or rather a study published by Kimberly Torres in 2009 and she studied um, the experiences of black students at an unnamed university. Uh, in the article, she calls it Northern. And she says that uh, not only do black students on white campuses report routine instances of outright discrimination, but they often feel that their schools are designed to honor white history, white knowledge, and white cultural practices at the expense of the African-American experience. And I thought that this really resonated very deeply with um, what many students have said about their experiences at Emory. So even though um, the experiences of black students um, differentiate from the experiences of other students at em on Emory's campus, it should be noted that they're still students. And um, thus, being a black student on Emory's campus is made a little bit more difficult um, because of how small the population is and the fact that um, these are students who are fighting for racial equality. And it's really difficult to be a campus activist and uh, be a student at the same time. Why would you not call yourself a campus activist? Uh, because I think I don't... I think maybe around that time. Mm -hmm. So last year, last fall... I'd say I definitely was. Yeah, I could definitely say I was. I was. Mm -hmm. um, help, I helped organize a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of those protests and um, and and rallies. Uh, but since then, I found that um, for me to excel um, uh, in my classes, I'd have to limit the amount of energy I put towards the activism and so since then I haven't I haven't put as much energy into it so it's been more more so supporting the people who you know are capable of putting that much energy into it um, so yeah definitely I wouldn't say I'm not an activist but as far as like you know the the, the people organizing events on right. campus around you know, this year at least, I haven't. I haven't been. That that whole that was a really difficult semester for me because of what was going on. Um, and I remember it was like, uh, I don't know. It just kind of took over, took over every aspect of my life. Um, and. You know, for for a while, that was pretty much all I cared about, um, and I think that's why 
that's another reason why I, I sort of, you know, stopped being as active, uh, just because it, it really did take over, you know, every, like, second of every mm-hmm. minute of my day. So I think, like, a lot of people, like, for whatever reason, like, you're just, like, think that that's, like, our role. Like, we all just are, like, in school to be, like, protesters. And it's just, like, yeah. you know, look, we'll start using that term. I was, like, whatever, it's not a bad term, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, if I don't get to at least show face, that's generally because I'm in class. Many students have reported experiences very similar to the ones that um, Torres lists in her study. She says overt racist acts by white students are still commonplace, and blacks are not treated as equals by white peers, faculty, and administrators. They continue to be stereotyped as special admit students and treated as second-class citizens who are not uh, ready to compete with white students on an intellectual level. As a result, many black students come to feel alienated, isolated, and estranged from mainstream life on white campus. In Torres's article, she also says um, that students recount daily episodes with faculty who expect them to represent race in the classroom, unsympathetic coaches who exploit them to bring money to the institution, and white students who freely hurl racial epithets at them. The campus thus becomes a racialized space in which campus activities become localized, white-dominated rituals in which to to display college symbols, promote school solidarity, and spur student alumni and public celebration of a college's geographic and educational identities. So this is just to say that Emory University is not a space, um, clearly, that uh, is not affected by race. And more so, it's an institution that has been created um, to privilege white people and thus that's made the experiences of black students at Emory very different. In her study, Torres um, describes a sense of culture shock uh, when black students have come to Northern University because they have never been uh, entrenched in an environment that um, is embedded with so much whiteness and um, some Emory students describe the same experience. So like my race definitely became more salient as I walked into campus. Interesting. And Ferguson is an all-black community versus it was a small handful of white people but I never looked at white people as being white. I just knew like I just looked at them as people and Mm -hmm. since I was a part of the majority population like race was never a big thing and Mm -hmm. so I came here and I was a minority and people started looking at me differently. Mm -hmm. So like even being pre-med coming from a neighborhood like Ferguson my first year taking chemistry like I was lost granted yeah. like I was valedictorian in high school but I didn't have to put in any effort yeah so that just speaks to the level of like the education I had before yeah. coming here so yeah. we're all kind of on different levels of spectrum as far mm-hmm. as like education when we come here like granted we're all smart mm-hmm. but study habits resources that we had yeah is different so yeah. I think like faculty acknowledging that it is definitely, like, a lot of articles have recently come out about how uh, how difficult campus activism is mm-hmm. um, and how it affects people mentally, academically. Mm-hmm. I think it's very real. Um, right. And that's partially why I think a lot of activists here at Emory are working so hard to get 
the support of um, Emory's faculty mm-hmm. because it, it, it's partially because it's not something you can do like it's not something four five students can lead by themselves right, right? so it makes sense for you know if Emory claims to be the support system mm-hmm. or c- want to create a support system for all of its students right mm-hmm. then that should exist for the students who are trying to make a difference right while also juggling all the responsibilities of being a member of the Emory community. Yeah. And that's, being a member of the Emory community is very different for lots of uh, students of color, Mm -hmm. just because there aren't a lot of us. So, because there aren't a lot of us, but there's a lot of organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So, most of us overlap, right? Right. Most of us are involved, heavily involved. Right. Um, and if, you know, I'm, I'm a member of fraternity that only mm-hmm. has three people on campus, right? So naturally, I have a lot more responsibility mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, say uh, just a general member of ATO, right? Right. So, you know, I, I hold like three executive positions, okay. and that's just. That's just, you know, one example of one organization. Yeah. And so when and 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 you'll 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 find that most of the people who are super active mm-hmm. and uh, or like um, you know, leading these uh protests are, are also heavily involved in lots of other aspects of of um you know, life at Emory. Mm-hmm. So it does, it, it's very draining. Um, but somebody has to do it, right? So, put it this way, if there was no one doing it, then I would feel responsible in some way. Right. right? I'd feel like I had to, like I didn't have a choice mm-hmm. because it, it's something that has to be done. Um, I would like to see the alleviation of some of the silencing mm-hmm. and um, uncomfortability of the black and brown students on Emory's mm-hmm. campus um, because you have students you have students who feel like they're a guest on this university. I'd like to see more black staff at Emory. Okay. Just because like I, mean, I actually go to the B school and like mm-hmm. I haven't had a single black professor. Mm-hmm. Like I there are some there is some black staff there which is nice but like out of all the classes, you know. Right. I don't even know. And I think that also needs to be reflected within the staff mm-hmm. here as far as, like, conduct workers, custodial staff. I feel mm-hmm. like it's very plantation style. Like, everyone, yeah. the lady who cleaned my bathroom every morning freshman year, she was definitely black. Everyone you see out here working yeah. on the yards are definitely Hispanic of some sort. Yeah. I feel like it definitely feeds into these stereotypes. When have you felt like a guest at Emory? Um, I... Personally, don't yeah. let anybody make me feel like a guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pay my good money to go here. Yeah, I'm going. This place is just as much my campus as anybody else. But I'm aware of people's like, so whether it's direct or indirect, mm-hmm. like subconscious or un, um, or conscious like ways in which they're mm-hmm. attempting to make me feel mm-hmm. like I'm a guest, whether they think they are or not. Yeah. So on the row. Yeah. Do I go here? Yeah. When I'm called a black bitch. When damn. Um. 
you know, what's it called? I don't know a freaking single song that's being played. Yeah. Or, um, when I don't know about any of like the social events that are going on on our campus or I look around the classroom and there's not a single person that looks like me. Yeah. Or, hey. Hi. Or my professors aren't understanding of the things that I go through, like the fact mm-hmm. that I have two jobs and I might not be able to come to office hours before 5 p.m. I really don't think that my body is visible every day. Mm-hmm. Being like the only black person in like all of my classes, yeah. it's, it's kind of... At first, I didn't realize it. I didn't even notice it for a little minute. So I was like, wait. Yeah. I'm the only black person in all my classes in a high school. Everybody was black. Teachers yeah. were black, you know? So I think, I'm not sure how, if my body is even visible to people on campus. Like, when they walk past me, is it kind of like, uh, like, they don't really see me face to face? Yeah. Or is it just kind of like, that's another person there? Do they think I not go to this school? Do they think I work here? Especially if you, if you look at how, how things were on this campus, Back in the early 2000s, I right. looked at a couple of incidents that sort of went like um, ignored by the administration. Um, the the Dooley Show incident. What was that? That was uh, so, so there. I guess um, Emory used to have a student run. I think it was like a radio or a TV okay. show, and um, they made. In one episode, they made uh, lynching jokes, um, uh, jokes about affirmative action, and oh. yeah, I could. Emory Dooley show. I'm sure I can pull up the uh, the joke. Here we go. Yeah, it's like the first hit. <laughs> so this happened in 2013. So this is recent. Um, yeah, this was recent. And they, they, they said things like, uh, oh, uh, they said that, uh, da, 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 da. They're, they're, they're talking about a recent uh, Supreme Court case and mm-hmm. the affirmative action, um, and said something about um, finding students who were only at Emory um, because of affirmative action, and they said right. proven methods included lynching, tarring, and feathering, and cross-burning. And so, God. yeah, yeah. And um, the response to that um, was completely unacceptable, and I think today probably would have been very different because of, right. because of the, how much we've been pushing for... Um, like, really, just the administration to acknowledge these things mm-hmm. as severely distress, distressing and um, uh, even even um, traumatizing to a lot of students. Right. So, at the end of the day, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, one way that I actually heard it put very well that stuck with me is. I want to be able to send my child to a place like Emory or to Emory. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see. Um, And not 
have to worry about them going through the same things that I go through mm-hmm. or that I see my peers going through. Torres also brings up in her article a discussion of respectability politics, which is um, this idea that black people should have to conform to um, normative standards to be successful in society. Um Torres talks about this in the context of speech patterns. So she says that conformity to white middle-class speech patterns rather than black English and racially integrated settings is one way middle-class blacks get along with whites, whereas among blacks, uh, the minority culture of mobility entails fluency in lower-class linguistic and interactional styles as a way to demonstrate solidarity and affinity with the African-Americans from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So many other uh, students at Emory also engaged in a discussion about respectability politics and uh, how it manifests itself on Emory's campus and whether or not, um, rather not, uh, and whether or not um, black students should have to engage in uh, respectability politics at all. Because I think that the majority of my life I have grown up in predominantly white spaces with the exception of being in Africa. <laughs> okay. And with that being the case, <laughs> um, you just kind of learn how to assimilate and not make yourself threatening and just to kind of figure out like, how to act and, like, how not to act, what is appropriate, and there are all these just different cultural norms, right? And so, like, in my high school, for example, there were, like, the loud black people who took up all the hallway space while everyone else was trying to get to class, and so, like, these people, you just, you get frustrated with them, and I didn't know them, and I was just like, oh, this is clearly not how you're supposed to act, like, this is ridiculous, and you just kind of go around them, and you, like, roll your eyes at them, and you keep it moving, right? And so I guess I've always been very, very protective of, like, white feelings and not, like, understanding racial tensions and understanding what's going on and how it's affecting me, but being, trying to be super careful about putting that across so I don't alienate the people that have become the most familiar to me and, like, not wanting to hurt them or not, like not wanting to be a part of their problems so that they could understand where I was coming from. I don't know if that makes sense. Even now, going through job interviews, like I have to keep in mind that I am a black woman going into these interviews. So whether I get hired to meet a quota or not, like I'm getting judged on everything I do. I can walk into an interview, they can see my face and know if they're giving me a job or not. So I have to keep these things in mind. How am I wearing my hair? Am I gonna wear my glasses or not? Make sure my skirt isn't too tight. You know, smile, speak very proper. Mm-hmm. I do have a St. Louis accent, but you would never know it because being here is, I can't really speak because people look at me crazy. I think too often people of color are sold and some fall into this idea that of respectability politics. Yeah. Just act white enough, appease the white man enough, and yeah. you'll be okay. And it's not true. Yeah. As long as we're, as long as we're trying to sit at a table that was never made 
there's no seat for us there in the first place, yeah. we're not going to be successful. We need to create a new table yeah. that's inclusive of mm-hmm. us. A new table with a seat that, you know, fits us versus yeah. trying to, I guess, like, fit on a seat that we're not supposed to fit on. Yeah. Uh, even Denier has recognized that respectability politics um, is an issue that affects Emory's campus. In a recent article, he wrote, Respectability politics reminds us that academic freedom for people of color comes with rules. The opinions and ideas of people of color are valued so long as they do not challenge the master narrative rendering people of color ersatz. I feel like it's a game and you have to play the game in order to win. Yeah. So, granted, I wish I was in a position to where I can embrace my blackness. Mm-hmm. I can go into these job interviews yeah. and be myself, and that would be good enough, but I know that's not possible. So I feel like black people who go to university and get into corporate jobs, they yeah. tend to conform to these white ideals just so yeah. that they can be in those spaces. Yeah. So, to me, it's the sense of how well, how do we get people to accept us for us in our mm-hmm. culture? Like, how do we get, you know, the duck to sell soul food? Yeah. Like, our culture is completely erased once we enter university and continue to grow and prosper. Unless, you know, you're an artist like Beyonce who can, you know, do whatever she wants at this point because she's she made it that far. She doesn't really have, she has people judging her, but who cares? She's, yeah. she's going to be Beyonce at the end of the day. Yeah. Everyone else doesn't have that privilege. So mm. how can we get white America to accept us in our culture, our language, whether we talk in? With accent or not, yeah, we're still speaking English. So why does it matter if I speak proper English? Why does it matter yeah. if I have an accent or not? You know? Yeah. So I think if I see that, like, that'll be a, a good advancement for me. Yeah.